Welcome to Healthy Wealthy You, where we'll continue to explore all aspects of functional medicine and good health. We'll help you find the tools to become the best version of yourself. Now, here is your host, Dr. Camille Vardy. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. This is Dr. Camille. In a few of our episodes together, we've looked at how to reduce stress and reduce all the stimulation and mental clutter that comes at us every day. There's so much psychological noise with the news that comes at us from every part of the world and so many opinions on social media. And there's fun and interesting stuff that we actually want to welcome in our lives. So how can we filter out what we don't want to have more room for what we do? Well, you know how I love to look at how things work in our brains And so I wanted to look at how we listen and how we can be more successful listeners. And I say successful because part of that is filtering out what we don't want. And, you know, I also like to share with you interesting books that I'm reading. And today I want to share with you a book by Kate Murphy called You're Not Listening, What You're Missing and Why It Matters. So I'll mix in a lot of my own thoughts and research with some of the ideas from this book. I do recommend that you pick up a copy for yourself and go more deeply on this really interesting book. We are missing a lot, and it matters hugely. It matters on the interpersonal level when we miss key information with the people we relate to every day. And it matters on the social level because the divisions between certain groups in our society are becoming insurmountable. To a very large extent, we've stopped treating other people like people. We make assumptions about us and them, and we shut ourselves off. We cannot afford the consequences of that. There's so much talking and so little listening. In some of the most prominent texts on communication, listening isn't even a focus. In the SAGE Handbook of Interpersonal Communication, listening isn't even in the index. And in the three-volume International Encyclopedia of Interpersonal Communication, there's only one entry specific to listening, in its over 2,000 pages. So often the advice on listening is overly simplified. Make eye contact, be able to repeat back what the other person has said. But repeating something back doesn't necessarily mean that we've taken in the information, processed it, or understood it. Communication is the foundation of healthy relationships. It's essential, and loneliness has become epidemic. Globally, in a study of about 23,000 people, about one-third of all adults reported feeling lonely, either sometimes or often. And you know, because of the stigma attached to it, my guess is it's pretty likely that more people are feeling it than are actually admitting to it. The Surgeon General of the United States Dr. Vivek Murphy estimated that the impact of loneliness to one's health was equivalent to the impact of smoking about 15 cigarettes a day. To me, that's staggering information. Communication is such a key to relationships, to forming them, to keeping them, to having relationships worth keeping. And listening is such an overlooked part of that. So let's talk about the physical aspects of listening, what's happening in the brain, and let's talk about the psychological aspects. We'll talk micro level and then macro level. So first of all, let's be clear. Hearing and listening are not the same. A random sound can happen and we hear it. It penetrates our consciousness. We can hear the sound of someone's voice without actually paying any attention to the content. And this is especially true when we're emotional, 
when we're angry, when we're focused on other things, such as trying to get our own point across and the next thing that we're planning to say. Hearing is automatic. It's one of our five senses and the brain processes sounds quickly as a survival mechanism. Our brains process what we hear based on what we already know so that we could respond quickly to the stimulus, especially if that stimulus involves danger. In a paper from Harvard Medical School called Top-Down Predictions in the Cognitive Brain, neuroscientist Kestudis Kveraga and others wrote, Rather than waiting to be activated by sensations, the human brain is constantly generating predictions that help interpret the sensory environment in the most efficient manner. There are many statistical regularities in our environment, and the brain uses them to shortcut processing in similar future situations. The primary principle is that the brain extracts coarse gist information rapidly and uses it to generate predictions that help interpret that output. It continuously employs memory of past experiences to interpret sensory information and predict the immediately relevant future. So we hear sounds, we put them in context, we try to assess, is it dangerous or is it something welcome and pleasurable? The speed of that processing is heightened when we feel threatened as we're, we're in an argument or in conflict. And listening requires an override of this mechanism. It's no longer about assessing threats. In hearing, we engage what's called the auditory cortex. That's found in the temporal lobes of the brain near the temples. The information is relayed to the cortex, the thinking area of the brain. But if the sound is familiar and routine, there's minimal engagement in the thinking part of the brain. At some point, we even tune it out, as would be the case of someone who lives near traffic noise. Our brains become acclimated to the routine, and we learn to just ignore it. But listening means that we have a key objective, comprehension, and that involves the cortex hugely because we need to process what's being said. We need to analyze it, and hopefully we're learning something in the process, which means that we're even creating new neural pathways. It's a very different process. The challenge of active, empathetic listening requires a willful override of the brain's preferred mode of operation. It requires that listeners quell the brain's biological need for efficiency, prediction, and planning. Hearing is passive. Listening is active. The best listeners focus their attention and recruit other senses to the effort. Their brains work hard to process all that incoming information and find meaning, which opens the door to creativity, empathy, insight, and knowledge. To listen fully, we need to suspend our own frame of reference and fully immerse ourselves in the perspective of the speaker. We have to avoid engaging in immediate judgment, prejudice, assumptions, rebuttal, or criticism. And that's not easy. Physical context is also important because it helps us to not only be open to the spoken word, but also to body language and emotional subtext. Listening is key to emotional development. Research on deaf and hearing impaired children has shown that they can have difficulty recognizing emotions and developing empathy. There's also extensive research on the detrimental emotional cognitive, and behavioral effects on those who lose their hearing later in life. Helen Keller said, I'm just as deaf as I am blind. Deafness is a much worse misfortune, for it means loss of the most vital stimulus, 
The sound of the voice that brings language sets thoughts astir and keeps us in the intellectual company of others. When you listen and really get what another person is saying, your brain waves actually sync up with those of the other speaker. Neuroscientist Yuri Hassan looked at functional MRI scans and found that the greater the overlap between the speaker's brain activity and the listener's brain activity, the better the communication. In one experiment conducted in his lab at Princeton, subjects listened to another subject describe a scene from a TV show. Recalling the scene, the speaker's brain waves looked much the same as when the speaker was actually watching the show. And upon hearing the story, the listener's brains began to show the same neural pattern as the speaker's. This coupling or syncing of brain waves is visible on the functional MRI. It's measurable evidence of the transmission of thoughts, feelings, and memories through speech and the learning and brain imprinting that occurs when we listen. I think that's just really exciting. <laughs> Another study conducted at the University of California, Los Angeles, UCLA, and at Dartmouth College showed that the brains of good friends react similarly when watching short video clips. In fact, there was a direct correlation between the subject's brain activity while watching the videos and how close they were as friends. The more you listen to someone, and the more that person listens to you, the more likely you literally become of like minds. Listening is essential to learning. In his book, Language in Thought and Action, Samuel Hayakawa said, a human being is never dependent on his own experience alone for his information. Even in a primitive culture, he can make use of the experience of his neighbors, friends, and relatives, which they communicate to him by means of language. Therefore, instead of remaining helpless because of the limitations of his own experience and knowledge, instead of having to discover what others have already discovered, instead of exploring the false trails they explored and repeating their errors, he can go on from where they left off. Language makes progress possible. Listening is how we build rapport with others. It's difficult these days. We spend a lot of time working, and many of us need to keep that professional mask on while we're working, being a persona rather than a person. And it's even becoming the norm in some circles to intentionally keep the conversation superficial. It's considered rude and socially inappropriate to go deep. And it's increasingly normal to text rather than talk, which is incredibly limiting in nuance and depth and often doesn't yield an actual response. Usually when we're texting, we're multitasking for one thing. We also completely miss facial expressions, body language, the tone of the voice. These are the things that tell us what the person is actually thinking and feeling. It's so important to remember that what people say is not always what's in their hearts. And that is often missed when those emotional cues aren't present. Someone could be in tears as they're texting or in a rage and if they don't want us to know, we easily might not. For young people, especially of teenage, this is the only form of communication they know. They don't have the same opportunity to learn and practice deeper levels of communication. And it shows, and they feel it. They feel the loneliness and the isolation. As Kate Murphy says in her book, the lack of being known and accepted in this way leads to feelings of inadequacy and emptiness. What makes us feel most lonely and isolated in life is less often the result of a devastating traumatic event 
than the accumulation of occasions when nothing happened, but something could have. It's the missed opportunity to connect when you weren't listening or when someone wasn't really listening to you. So how do we make this better? Well, let's talk about that after the break. This is Dr. Camille and Healthy Wealthy You, and we'll be right back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Healthy Wealthy You will help you find the tools to become the best version of yourself. We'll explore all aspects of well-being, nutrition, lifestyle, fitness, mental health, relationships, family, work, finances. It's you living your best life. No matter what your current health or life obstacles, we want to help you cross that bridge to your new life. Our experience with food, nutrition, supplements, functional medicine, specific health issues, and every aspect of what it means to be truly healthy will provide something for every level of interest, bringing new twists on what you already know. We'll help you figure out why you haven't achieved your goals and learn strategies to help you create a personal approach that finally works for you. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. If you have questions for Dr. Camille or her guests, feel free to join us on the show at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Now, back to the show with Dr. Camille. Welcome back. This is Dr. Camille and Healthy Wealthy You. And we're talking about listening and how it impacts our relationships and how we can become more active listeners. To listen well is to figure out what's on someone's mind and to demonstrate that we care enough to want to know. It's what we all crave, to be understood as a person with thoughts, emotions, and intentions that are unique and valuable and deserving of attention. As Kate Murphy puts it, listening is about the experience of being experienced. I love that. It's someone taking an interest in who you are and what your life is. As we said earlier, just because we've heard something, even heard it well enough to repeat it back to someone, doesn't necessarily mean that we've taken in the information, processed it, or understood it, let alone put it in context felt something, learned something, or changed our mind about something. And that's the essence of communication, that we are no longer solely unto ourselves. We've brought someone into our thoughts and into our world. Look at how little children listen. They're very pure listeners. Everything is new, so they're curious about everything and everyone. They constantly ask questions, even embarrassingly personal questions, trying to figure you out. And they listen carefully to what you say, even modeling things that we don't really want them to model or to repeat. Active listening engages conversation. Researchers at the University of Utah found that when talking to inattentive listeners, speakers remembered less information, and were less articulate in the information they conveyed back. On the other hand, they found that attentive listeners elicited more information, more relevant details, and elaboration from speakers, even when the listeners didn't ask many questions. So if you're barely listening to someone because you think that person is boring or not worth your time, you'll actually make it so. 
Dopamine is generated when we're curious, when we're learning new things. And that dopamine occurs for both the speaker and the listener in a stimulating, interactive conversation. It's a big reason we crave people and companionship. So how can we achieve this? Well, first is to find commonality. It's so common at a party to ask, what do you do? And the implication of that question is, what do you do for work? But perhaps a better question might be, what do you enjoy? It's a much broader question that could be answered in many ways and immediately triggers dopamine the moment the question is heard. Listening to what a person enjoys tells you so much more about them than learning what they must do to feed their families. And it tells you if there's commonality, is this a person that you want to get to know more? But searching for commonality is crucial, even in people we already know. Spouses drift apart and losing commonality is a common cause of failure in marriages especially after the common goal of raising the children is no longer needed. Searching for commonality can make all the difference in a disagreement. What common intention do we share? So often it's just back and forth with each person asserting what they want rather than finding what they both want to work toward. Disagreements are solved by finding the way forward, not by endlessly looping on what happened before. And if they truly can't find a common intention, a common way forward, then knowing that is enormously illuminating about the relationship. Another important factor is curiosity. When a new person shares their interests with us, it might not be something we know about. If we have curiosity about it, we experience something we haven't experienced before. We're learning something about the world. Curiosity is even more important for people who've known each other a long time. If we assume we already know everything there is to know about our spouse, if we assume we've heard all the stories already, it starts us on the road to losing commonality. We shut down. We come to them with all kinds of preconceived ideas and assumptions. We freeze them at some time in the past and they're forever that person in our minds. We aren't giving them credit for growing, evolving, and changing. And then we wake up one day and complain, you're not the person I married. And while it's absolutely true that people change and are sometimes no longer compatible, how often is it that they simply don't even know who the other person has become, even though they were there side by side for every single day of it, simply because they weren't listening. This lack of curiosity can lead to complacency, to a hundred little disconnects along the way. In a long relationship, we assume we know the other person. We make decisions without consulting them because we assume we know their opinion. We might continue to do the same things give the same gifts, engage in the same old lovemaking, and even have the same expectations because we're complacent and don't see the other person changing. This ability to change along with the other person may be all the more important with our children who are growing and changing even more quickly every day. We sometimes may have the experience of watching our spouse talk to someone else and something is said that we didn't know. You never told me that. Well, maybe the other person showed a different curiosity, a different listening than what you had for your spouse. It's an important sign that complacency exists in the relationship. It can also be a sign of something more. What they say and how much they say depends on how they perceive the listener at that moment. And if someone is listening superficially, listening to find fault, or only listening to jump in with an opinion, then they're unlikely to disclose anything meaningful. Harvard sociologist Mario Luis Small found that slightly more than half the time, 
people confided their most pressing and worrisome concerns to people with whom they had weaker ties, even people they encountered by chance, rather than to those they had previously said were closest to them, a spouse, a family member, a dear friend. In some cases, the subjects actively avoided telling the people in their innermost circle because they feared unkindness, judgment, blowback, or drama. Maybe they just didn't want to worry their family member. They appreciated the objective distance or even sometimes anonymity in a situation. It's why therapy can be so essential. And even group therapy and support groups can be a means of providing a variety of fresh perspectives to a situation. Listening helps us stay in sync with the other person, and it helps us to get more easily back in sync if there's a disconnect. Remember how brains synced up? Well, over time, that synchronicity in the brains can make a difference in reconnecting. The more deeply we know someone, the more we've listened to who they are and what's important to them, the more likely we are to find that common intention that gives us the way through. Listening means paying attention to the context and the subtext. The words themselves don't tell us everything. In conversation, people rarely tell you something unless it means something to them. It comes to mind and out of their mouths because it has valence. It's begging for a reaction. And it's in understanding the intent and the meaning beneath the words that helps us to relate to that person. When someone says something to you, it's as though they're tossing you a ball. Not listening or half listening is like keeping your arms pinned to your sides or looking away so that the ball sails right past or bounces off clumsily. People talk about something because it has meaning for them. Say someone loses a job, but they didn't really like it anyway. Maybe it's actually a relief. But underlying that is a sense of failure, perhaps shame, or fear of what's next. Listening to that, noticing that, opens an opportunity for a deep connection. It doesn't need to be an extended conversation. Sometimes it can just be a simple moment or gesture that says, I see you. I understand you. I feel your humanity. And that can be something unforgettable and even life-changing for a person. It's so easy to feel anonymous in this world of 8 billion people. We rush through the day trying to juggle all of the demands. And a single moment of connection of humanity can make all the difference. Maybe people talk about something to avoid the real subject that they're thinking about. This is an important context too. Maybe we're talking about how cute the dog is right now because we're trying to avoid the conversation about feeling unsatisfied sexually or that we're worried about our spouse's drinking. Communication takes courage. Facing emotions takes courage. Taking on problems takes courage. Listening takes courage. So what other factors get in the way? Being distracted is one. Looking at our phones, fidgeting, letting our minds wander, having music or the TV on, or we're thinking about our to-do list and how are we ever going to get everything done? Or we're thinking about the argument we had with a family member last night or the demands of work. People are often too distracted by the demands of their everyday lives or are too much in their own heads to even realize when they're being inattentive. And lack of energy or burnout can get in the way of listening. I can't deal with this right now. I'm too tired. Are we having this conversation again? We need to make ourselves available for listening. When we're tired or distracted, we may miss crucial information. We might even fill in the gaps with what we assume the person said. We might be able instead to practice listening as a meditation. Oh, I notice I'm distracted 
refocus, recenter. I've seen this distraction so many times, especially in text conversations, when I've had to ask the same question three, four, five times, sometimes waiting for an answer for days because the other person was too distracted or tired to even read the question properly. Sometimes this distraction can lead to two people who are having two completely different conversations. Question, do you want to drive out to the beach this Saturday? And the answer comes back, that reminds me, the car needs an oil change. Like the analogy of tossing a ball back and forth, we have to meet the ball wherever it is. And sometimes the distraction is intentional. Sometimes the subject is just too hard. So it's easier to pretend we didn't hear or understand it. Relationships are hard and we need to create the right time and opportunity to deal with the hard things. We need to tackle them before they get bigger and harder. Another substantial downfall is planning out what we wanna say next while the other person is still talking and we aren't even listening to what they're saying because we're writing that script in our heads. Maybe we're just habituated to expressing our opinions. Perhaps planning what we want to say could be well-intentioned. We don't wanna say the wrong thing. We don't wanna hurt the other person. We wanna phrase what we have to say properly. But often we're writing that script because we don't feel listened to. So we're thinking, how can I be heard? How can I rephrase my opinion so that this time I get my point across? Lack of feeling heard creates a downward spiral. I want so much for you to listen to me that I can't even think about listening to you. We can become defensive and ultimately increase the chances of inappropriate responses and hurt feelings, shutting down listening and relationship even further. Maybe planning what we wanna say is not so well-intentioned. There can be an aspect of wanting to control the narrative. Do we want to seem smart or knowledgeable? Are we trying to impress? Do we not really care what the other person has to say because we don't respect them enough to think that they add value? Ouch, how often does that happen in the workplace? Do we think we're relating to the person by bringing up a story about ourselves in a similar circumstance? That may be okay if the other person has truly finished what they had to say and the story has an important message but it shouldn't be used to interrupt the person because you think they should be done by now and isn't my experience more interesting. Our answer to someone else's deepest difficulty merely reflects what we would do if we were that person and we're not. Perhaps we deflect the conversation because we have something to hide. Are we ashamed of something that we don't wanna have exposed? What is the agenda? Just as commonality gives us the basis for relationship, being able to set aside the areas in which we lack commonality is crucial. If we keep focusing on the differences, it crowds out any possibility for common ground. It's so easy to focus on what went wrong, on the hurts, and to loop back on those again and again. It's so important to be open to the possibility that we're not always right and we might even be wrong. We need to be open to realizing that we don't know everything. It's so important to cut that short with something like, okay, we are where we are now. What do you want from me now? What do you want from the situation now? And then really stop and listen to those answers. Take it in ask questions, solve it. Another issue in listening is the variation in perception, the meaning that we assign to words. And this can be different for different people. If I say, oh, that's not expensive, or it's not too early in the morning, it's not a long trip, those words might mean something completely different to me than they do to you. 
our perceptions may need to be discussed and put in context. That context might be personal, circumstantial, cultural. It might even change for the same person over time. What I perceive as expensive today might be different than what I perceived as expensive five years ago when the economy was different or my circumstances were different. So the statement I made today may have a different meaning than it did five years ago. And I'm allowed that. Another barrier to listen is a fear of silence. Silence does not make us look foolish or unknowing. There's a big difference between avoidance and true silence. Silence is like the blank space on the page. If we didn't have some, the page would be illegible. Silence gives us time to think, to breathe, to rest. There is the saying, silence is not empty. It is full of answers. I love that. There's so much more to say on the subject of listening, but let's take a break here. This is Dr. Camille and Healthy Wealthy You. We'll be right back. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Healthy Wealthy You will help you find the tools to become the best version of yourself. We'll explore all aspects of well-being, nutrition, lifestyle, fitness, mental health, relationships, family, work, finances. It's you living your best life. No matter what your current health or life obstacles, we want to help you cross that bridge to your new life. Our experience with food, nutrition, supplements, functional medicine, specific health issues, and every aspect of what it means to be truly healthy will provide something for every level of interest, bringing new twists on what you already know. We'll help you figure out why you haven't achieved your goals and learn strategies to help you create a personal approach that finally works for you. Birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. If you have questions for Dr. Camille or her guests, feel free to join us on the show at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Now, Back to the show with Dr. Camille. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. This is Dr. Camille. We're talking about listening and the barriers to effective listening. The way in which we're able to engage in listening and conversation relates to how our brains were developing as infants. We mentioned earlier how when we're in conversation with someone with a shared interest, brain activity syncs up. Our desire to have our brains sync or to connect with another person starts at birth. A baby's brain is primed to absorb information and to model thinking and behavior. We particularly model it from our parents and our mother whose voice we heard even in the womb. This learning is how we find friends, create partnerships, advance ideas, and fall in love. But if that yearning is not satisfied, particularly when we're young, it can profoundly affect our well-being. No psychological concept emphasizes this more than attachment theory. It's the idea that our ability to listen and connect with people as adults is shaped by how well our parents listened and connected with us as children. By the end of our first year, we've imprinted on our baby brains a template of how we think relationships work based on how attuned our parents or primary caregivers were to our needs. Our ability to form attachments or what's called our attachment style is determined by the degree to which our caregivers' brains synced with ours. Attentive and responsive caregivers set us up to have a secure attachment style 
which is characterized by an ability to listen empathetically and form functional, meaningful, and mutually supportive relationships. When children whose parents were not dependably attentive typically grow up to be adults, they have a more insecure and anxious attachment, which means they tend to worry and obsess about relationships. They don't listen well because they're so concerned about losing people's attention and affection. This preoccupation can lead them to be overly dramatic, boastful, or clingy. They might also pester potential friends, colleagues, clients, or romantic interests instead of allowing people their space. An insecure or avoidant attachment comes from growing up with caregivers who are mostly inattentive or perhaps overly attentive to the point of smothering. People raised this way are often bad listeners because they tend to shut down or leave relationships when things get too close. They resist listening because they don't want to be disappointed or overwhelmed or hurt. People who have an insecure, disorganized attachment display both anxiety and avoidance in an illogical and erratic manner. This is often the result of growing up with a caregiver who is threatening or abusive. It's really hard to listen because intimacy can feel frightening. The people closest were hurtful. When a person is insecure, it's easy to define communication in terms of whose fault is it. And it's either your fault or it's mine, so I better make it yours. For people who grow up in abusive households, sometimes the consequences for doing something wrong might have been quite severe and quite dangerous. Perhaps the person didn't even need to be at fault for abuse to occur. Perhaps it occurred simply because they were there in the room. People who are raised in this kind of situation can have specific issues with communication and with listening. They easily shut down. They're terrified of being wrong. They avoid conflict at all costs. These fears and these habits are hard to change, but with time and effort and hopefully loving, understanding people to help them through it, it is so worthwhile to do. For children, it's so important to have a mentor, someone other than their parents that can be a confidant, that can lend perspective on the world and on the family dynamic, someone in their lives who listens and to whom they feel connected. This helps them feel safer stepping out in the world and interacting with others. It relieves stress and provides emotional security, stability, and confidence. Another important barrier to listening are our expectations. What do we expect from the other person? Do we feel that our romantic partner will understand us utterly and completely? Do we expect our children to want what we want just because we held them in our bodies for nine months? As Miles Davis said, if you understood everything I said, you'd be me. Our expectations can cloud our listening and lead to disappointment when we don't hear what we want or what we long to hear. We want to avoid leading questions. Don't you think that, isn't it true that, wouldn't you agree, or any question that's really a statement and ends with, right? Because all that's doing is asking the other person to agree with our expectations. We need to be able to ask open-ended questions, ones that give possibility to answers we didn't expect, like the question, what do you enjoy? rather than what do you do for a living? Or what was the best part of your vacation? Or what do you see as the problem here? What can we do differently? What do you see as the way forward? These open-ended questions allow us to learn, understand, and problem solve. Questions should help both the speaker and the listener 
go deeper. We also need to make sure we aren't grilling the person. Our questions shouldn't feel like an interrogation. We don't want to go into problem-solving mode for the other person when it isn't being asked. Sometimes people just want to air their thoughts and feelings. Sometimes they just want to share that this is what happened and it impacted me. They may not be asking you to solve their life. It's about listening, not this is what you should do. Researchers at Vanderbilt University discovered that when mothers just listened, providing no assistance or critique, while their children explained solutions to pattern recognition problems, it markedly improved the children's later problem-solving ability, more so than if the children had explained the solution to themselves or repeated the solution over and over in their heads. In other research, it was shown that adults who were provided with an attentive listener gave more detailed solutions with more alternative ideas and better justifications than solutions that were generated in isolation. If we jump in to fix, advise, correct, or distract, we're communicating that the other person doesn't have the ability to handle the situation. You're not going to get this without me. And we're also telling them there's no room for honest emotion in our relationship. By questioning and listening carefully to the answers, the other person might in return begin to ask questions so they can benefit from the mutual experience. In this way, we've earned the right to reflect on our approaches to problems and offer counsel or consolation. It also ensures that the stories and sentiments we share with them are actually relevant and helpful. This idea of expectations is magnified and can be all the more impactful when we get out in the world. We can look at someone and have expectations of who they are, what they think, and even their worth as a person based on what they're wearing, their economics, their race, and their political affiliations. This is so crucial in our society that has become so divided in these terms. We just hear what the other person is saying as noise, or we shut them out completely. But often these people are our family members, our coworkers, or people in our neighborhood, and we're going to need to get along. We're going to need to listen to each other, or we're going to collapse as a society we cannot continue this level of division. Our brains want to create patterns for us. This creates order and it keeps us safe. We can take it to a very primal level. If I've experienced discomfort, stress, or worse, danger from this stranger or someone like this person, then I'd better keep away. This is a natural survival mechanism. The problem is when we stereotype, when we make inappropriate or incorrect assumptions. Neuroscientists at the Brain and Creativity Institute at the University of California, Los Angeles, UCLA, recruited subjects with staunch political positions and using a functional MRI scanner, looked at their brain activity when their beliefs were challenged. The part of their brains that lit up were the same as would have been if they were being chased by a bear. When we're in fight or flight, it's incredibly hard to listen. Listening requires the higher centers of our brains, the prefrontal cortex, the areas of reason and judgment. When we're in fear mode, when the adrenaline is pumping, that's not what we're doing. Our amygdalas are firing. In that moment, the primitive brain interprets a difference of opinion in the same way as if we're abandoned by the tribe, alone and unprotected. So fear takes over. We protect what is ours at all costs. We've reached a point that shutting down the opposition is considered normal. According to a survey of college students conducted by the Brookings Institute, 
51% of students thought it was acceptable to shout down a speaker with whom they disagreed. And almost one-fifth of respondents supported using violence to prevent a speaker from delivering an address. And it's all over the spectrum. Look at Congress right now. Hack. <laughs> we feel it's part of our First Amendment rights to say anything we want, to have completely unfiltered opinions. Is it any wonder that so many of us want to shut down the noise? We forget about the variety of human experience. We forget that not everyone in a certain social group or region of the country or family thinks alike. And we stop listening to who they actually are as human beings. But we all have the same struggles. We want to provide for ourselves and our families. We all want to create our own identity in the world. We want to have some pleasure and meaning and value. We can't forget that it is the nature of being human to want these things, and we cannot stop listening. Hopefully, we can come to value diversity, even when it's hard. More opinions, if presented in an appropriate and orderly fashion, adds to the depth of meaning of a situation. Hopefully, we can ask the right questions Hopefully, we're not afraid to say, tell me more, I don't understand, and I want to understand you. Ask a person what makes them happy, or what keeps them awake at night thinking, and then you will remember that we are all human. True listening takes a generosity of spirit. It takes a belief that the other person has something to teach us. It takes empathy. People are always trying to tell us who they are. To hear that, we need to listen. As author Ram Sharan said, truly empathetic listening requires courage, the willingness to let go of the old habits and embrace new ones. But once acquired, these listening habits are the very skills that turn would-be leaders into true ones. Well, I hope that this has given you some important things to think about today. Thanks for listening. This is Dr. Camille and Healthy Wealthy You, and I look forward to spending time with you again next week. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Healthy Wealthy You. Have a question but weren't able to get on the show today? Join us next week and call in. Until then, hold that inspiration.